Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm honored to have two clinicians join us with specialization in working with children and families going through divorce. Dr. Rebecca Good is a licensed clinical psychologist. She graduated with a PsyD in clinical psychology from the Wright Institute in Berkeley. She has comprehensive experience working with young adults and adolescents. She works extensively with individuals with ADHD or who are a neurodivergent LGBTQ plus youth and adults, youth impacted by divorce, foster youth, and Latinx youth. She has also experienced in treating trauma ranging from early attachment issues to acute PTSD symptoms. Julia Herrera is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Manhattan Beach. She works with children, adolescents, and their families. She specializes in working with children and adolescents coping with anxiety, depression, academic pressure, and parents going through divorce. She also works with parents contemplating or in the process of divorce. She utilizes a non-judgmental and safe space for parents to navigate the co-parenting process while also providing ways to help the children adjust to family dynamic changes. Welcome, Rebecca and Julia. Today, I'm very lucky to have on two clinicians to join us, Julie Herrera, LMFT, and Dr. Rebecca Good. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks. So I have both of you on today because both of you have specialty in working around children who are either in the process of their parents going through a divorce or children whose parents have gone through a divorce. And I know that you both have that specialty. I know Julia tends to see families and children in the beginning process, and Rebecca might see the families afterwards or maybe work with a little bit more high conflict divorces. But I think it'd be a kind of a fun way for us to talk together about how you approach treatment for these children and families. Yeah. So Julia, maybe we can start with you because you tend to work with in the very beginning phases of this process. And I'm just curious about the themes you see, how you work with people, how you think about approaching psychological care. Yeah, so usually um, when a family comes in, um, they're bringing in their child a lot of times preventatively. So we're going through a divorce. I want to make sure that my child adjusts properly or, you know, we can ease them through that transition. So a lot of times they come in and I start working with a kid. I do a lot of like play and art therapy with them. And, you know, a lot of common themes that I see in the beginning phases is also just a lot of grief and sadness and a lot of anxiety and questions regarding like what's going to happen, what will happen, how their family is going to look different. And a lot of times that comes out through their play or their art. So, you know, drawing pictures of their family and saying, oh, I wish we still did these things together. My parents might get back together. Will they get back together? I don't know which house I'm going to be at when. So a lot of it is helping the parents like navigate all those questions and helping them appropriately answer them for the child. And even just when you talk about the parents' splitting up or divorcing, the way in which you talk about it with a child changes depending on their age. 
And I think that's really important for parents to understand. So the way you talk about it with a three-year-old is going to look really different the way you talk about it with a 15-year-old. And you want to make sure that you're doing it appropriately. So a lot of my beginning phases is helping them learn like scheduling and, and how they're going to create consistency and stability for the kids while they go through this process. Predictability. And predictability, yes, very much so. So schedules, visual aids for the kids, you know, making sure you're attuned to them when they're asking these questions, these big, big questions. I think that's a big part of the beginning phases. You had mentioned the different ages. And I I mean, Mm -hmm. of course, there's a big difference between a three-year-old and a 15-year-old. But what are those age-appropriate discussions that you often think about depending on age? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I think the biggest overall theme I, I try to convey to parents is that it's important to not say really intricate reasons or give a lot of detailed information about why you're breaking up. I think that's the biggest thing because I think parents sometimes feel like they need to be super honest and give so much information and the kid needs to know exactly everything and who did what and why this is happening. So it keeps even just like if a parent, you know, if there's like cheating or infidelity, and I really do have to tell parents like this is not about your relationship, you know, it's about the child and what they can comprehend and what they can really understand at their age. So like a three-year-old, you know, a four-year-old, you know, it's more so mommy and daddy love you. We're still a family, you know, you're going to have two homes now. It's more about like describing the homes. And then as they get older, you know, it can be more about like, you know, we're still a family. We both love you very much. You know, we've decided that we aren't together anymore, but we're still a family kind of situation. And you can go into more depth of like, you're going to be at mom's house on these days and you're going to be on dad's house on these days. And I also try to say that it can be collaborative with them too, like especially the older they get, because a lot of times when I work with the older children, they feel like they don't have a say in how much time they spend at each house and how many days specifically are at each. And sometimes that gets very overwhelming for them, that adjusting between homes. And so I think it's really important for, you know, especially teenagers having a sense of control of what kind of schedule maybe they'd like to have too. Then it kind of brings me into this idea that in the perfect world, when parents are both kind of seen eye to eye on the process, and there's not a lot of other emotional stressors or baggage. That's part of that. But it kind of also makes me think what Rebecca does thinking about, okay, but what happens if there's high conflict between the parents and how difficult that is to be able to create that smoother transition for the children? Yeah. I was thinking, Julie, I really appreciate your conversations around like kind of that clearness and predictability. I have a client and she has an ice plant and she named it consistency. Uh, So I think to me, that spoke a lot about kind of her wishes of knowing where she is and when, and that she would like more consistency in her custody arrangement with her family. So Rebecca, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about your work with the focus on families with high conflict in this process. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I definitely get kids a little bit later in the process. And usually I do work with kind of older, you know, young teens. So between the ages of 10 to 15, 16, 17. 
And I think too, from a developmental standpoint, it's a, it's a lot harder for kids to kind of accept the divorce because they remember for so long what it was like having their parents together. Things that I see a lot with teenagers and tweens when parents get divorced is there's a lot of hostility towards any new partners that come in. So I see that often as a conflict. And I really love, too, Julia, what you were talking about, about having a very simple story and not going into too much detail. I think a challenge I see a lot with when I work with parents with high conflict is that parents will often give too much detail and especially give too much emotional detail about what's going on for them. And so then what happens is something called triangulation where a kid often feels stuck in between each parent and like they either have to choose which parent to take care of. And usually what that looks like is they look at which parent is being more emotionally expressive in terms of how they're hurting. And then the the child or teen will usually side with that parent. And what I see a lot then is disengagement or rejection of the other parents. So, and often the main parent that kids connect with is mom. It's not always the case or if there's two moms, whichever one is the primary caregiver. And what I'll hear a lot is, oh, mom's hurting. So yeah, I would like to have a relationship with dad. I really miss dad, but I can't let mom know that because it would hurt her too much. Mm -hmm. And if mom knows that she might not love me anymore, or I will hurt her too. And I don't want to hurt her. So a thing I talk a lot with parents about is actually, I think one of the most important things parents can do during a divorce is get their own therapist. So that way they can have their own emotional support and be able to have a place where they can express themselves so they're not expressing their feelings to their children. And I think that can be really helpful. And also because then parents can be regulated and kids often look to their parents to know, how do I react? How do I, you know, if mom's anxious, then I get anxious. Mm -hmm. If dad's angry, then I'm angry. So by having parents being able to be regulated around their kids, can be really helpful and create a more consistent and smooth transition for the kids. Yeah, I think that, you know, also too, especially with the younger ones, I see that a lot. It comes out a lot in separation anxiety. Where's mom? Is she going to be okay? If I leave her, who's with her, right? And not just with mom, but with both parents, but usually primary caregiver. But, you know, it definitely comes out in, oh, they don't want to leave my side. They don't want to leave me. They have a hard time going to school. And so I do see that, you know, quite a bit in terms of, okay, what's going to happen with mom when I leave the house or what happens with dad when I leave the house, you know, who's taking care of them? Yeah. That consistency piece. And especially if there's a change being able, you know, if, if somebody's stuck at a, you know, has a work meeting or, you know, has to travel and has asked the parent very quickly, oh, can you watch the kid? Or if an emergency comes up, it can be really distressing for the kid to say, oh, wait, where am I supposed to be? What do you mean I'm staying with you? I'm supposed to be with the other parent. Mm -hmm. So giving kids as much of a heads up as possible when you know there's a change. And then like you said, like having it on a whiteboard or having it on a calendar where it's like, oh, look, this has changed for the week, but you can stare at it leading up to those days and whichever house I'm at has that information. You guys had also brought up 
trying to protect a parent or not leaving them alone or kind of making sure that they don't feel lonely. It made me wonder about what happens when the other parent decides to introduce a new partner into the mix and how complex that is and how do parents do that? I mean, I'm sure it's different in each case, but I'm just curious about tips that you might suggest to kind of allow that process to run a bit more smoothly. I'm just laughing because my first year postdoc, I actually, when I started working with children of high conflict divorce, every single child on my caseload was in there because they hated their dad's new partner. It was interesting that it was that year. It was just this pattern of like, oh, it was dad's new partner. There was one or two that was mom's new partner, but they seemed to be, the kids I was working with seemed to be a little bit more okay with that, which was amazing because then I got a little, like by working with all these kids, I got almost like a do's and don'ts list going for for parents for the future. And I think one of the most helpful things that I've heard kids talk about is, you know, introducing a partner too quickly can be really unfair, especially if there's not certainty on whether or not that partner is going to be around because it's really hard to introduce a new attachment figure, have a kid get attached and then have that person be out of the picture really quickly. So I think parents need to be really thoughtful about, am I going to introduce this person to my kid? Are they a long-term person? Even if I'm excited about this person and think they're great and I love my kid and I want my kid to know this person because I'm excited. Like I, I really encourage parents to be very slow in that process. And then the other thing I really encourage parents to do is to make sure that the new partner isn't always there. So things I hear a lot is, you know, oh, dad's new partner is fine, but I really wish I had one-on-one time with my dad or, you know, we're going on this annual camping trip and dad's bringing new partner. And it was always a thing that he and I used to do. It was our special time. And now she's there. And then in extreme cases, I've had one of my 12-year-old clients tried to poison dad's new girlfriend. And her complaint was that she was kind of taking on too much of a mother role and trying to insert herself into the family too quickly. But that was also a case where that girl was also really, her mom was being very vocal about her emotional pain around dad getting a new girlfriend. So there was also a, I think the poisoning was very much a protective piece and she didn't succeed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just think about from kind of a new partner entering the the system, right? How much you want to be liked, right? But how much if the child is not interested in having you be there. And so it just seems like a really hard thing to be able to insert yourself in a positive way to develop that connection with that child. I'll second that. I think a big thing is speed of introducing someone new. And I think too, with just maybe doing little by little. So, you know, once they meet them for like an hour, you know, 30 minutes, and then, you know, slowly increase and maybe slowly weave that person into the family while also keeping quality time with each parent is really, really important. And I think another thing too, a big takeaway is that it's very important to try and make sure that when you're having conversations, if your child says, oh, dad has a new partner to the mom or anything like that, that the parent's able to regulate. And then also, you know, even if they think they're having a conversation on the phone in another room with a friend about that parent and the new girlfriend, 
kids are so attuned. <laughs> like they hear everything, they see everything, and also they feel things. So like they feel tension, they feel when there's conflict, you know, because oftentimes my you know, parents will say, oh, we don't discuss these things in front of the children or we don't, I don't talk about it in front of them or near them. But my kids still know. They still know what's going on. They can sense it and feel it through their interactions with their parent or even an eye roll, like, oh, I'm going to dad's. Okay. You know, like the eye rolls or the body language, like all of that really impacts the way the child's going to interact with both parents. And also social media and being aware of devices. I've definitely had kids find out about a parent's relationships by reading inappropriate texts on the iPad because there's a family connection. (laughs) So being aware that like parents often give their kids their phone or their iPads and making sure that like there are some explicit text messages between you and a new partner make sure that your kid doesn't have access to those would be very helpful as well. I think what, what you're talking about in general is that this idea that divorce is complex and traumatic for not only the couple, but obviously the family. And you think about parents going through this, not only are they dealing with their own emotional trauma, Mm -hmm. but then really needing to think very hard and focusing on their own behavior and how it affects their children. And it's just such a complex situation. And I just think about the parents and how much they have to deal with in order to allow everybody to come out of the situation, not unharmed, but okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think what you, what you two bring up is this idea that parents don't have to go through this alone. Right. That's why you two exist in in practice to help Mm -hmm. these families kind of navigate this very difficult time. Yeah. And I think that, you know, seeking help, asking for resources, you know, is very important. And a lot of times, like I even see kids in the beginning and then maybe they come back for something else, right? Like maybe they come see me again later on for anxiety for school or something completely different. And so I sometimes do get to see that evolution for the child. And, you know, I think when the parents really do are able to put the child you know, first and go to their own therapy and really try and either co-parent or parallel parent or, you know, whatever works for them, you know, I see these kids as they get older and, you know, they have adjusted, you know, it's still hard. It's still, they're still navigating that process, but it's not the main focal point of their daily, you know, it becomes like the norm and a habit. Oh, I'm going with dad on vacation over the summer and then me and mom are doing this. And, you know, so I've seen it, I've seen it too, where the kids, you know, are able to adjust fairly well. So, you know, later in life, I see them and then the parents come in and they're in the room together. (laughs) So, I mean, I do see it to where it can be, you know, it can go really well. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually going to ask in your experience with seeing these families go through these, this process, what are the successes? And when you look at a case and you're like, that went well, Um, (laughs) I guess it looks different for different cases, but I guess mainly what you're talking about is that the family can still be together as a family, despite there being a divorce. Right. And is that exactly what the parents promised to the children in the very beginning, but it actually is true. Yeah, I've had families go on vacation where like parents, kids, and parents' new partners all go on vacation together, which is, I think, an absolutely amazing thing. And it does take time. You know, time, I think, is an important factor of 
making sure that there's space for parents to heal. I really like what you have to say about just how hard it is for parents to have to navigate and manage all of their feelings. And it's really hard. Plus raising kids is really hard. Full stop. And so raising kids while you're emotionally grieving, while you're trying to figure out how to be a single parent, while you're trying to figure out how to, you know, figure out custody schedules and lawyers Mm -hmm. and filling out the right paperwork. It's so much to ask a parent to do. And I think it's, it is important for parents to get help. And also, I think one of the places where I see a lot of shifts is when I ask parents to kind of take a step back and think about, okay, yes, you are really angry and you're really hurt. But the things that you're saying to your kid, think about your relationship with your parents and how would it feel if your parent, if somebody told you your dad doesn't love you anymore and that's why he's not showing up, how Mm -hmm. beautiful would that be to you? And and so getting parents to kind of tap into their own experiences of what their childhood was like, what their relationship was like with their parents and how sometimes the words that they're saying, that they're saying because they're in a place of such hurt and overwhelm that the things that they're saying to their kids maybe feels, you know, justified to the parents. But as a kid hearing your dad or your mom doesn't love you anymore, your dad doesn't care about you anymore your dad wants a new family, your mom, you know, is moving away because she's found a better life. That's so painful and awful for a kid to hear. So when, when parents are able to kind of, when I've seen at least too, a lot of changes, when parents are really able to take that in and say, oh, what I'm saying, like it's helping me. It's not helping my kid. Yeah. I think another point too is that, you know, I think for some families that it is that they can come together and they can work together and then they go on trips and they do all that. And that's obviously great. But also sometimes it just involves like, you know, parallel parenting where, you know, you're here, they're here, and the kids going in the same direction. Mm-hmm. There's two different trains, right? So, you know, sometimes that's the way it is too. You're not going to go on vacations together. You might not have birthday parties together, but you have your, you know, the predictability of dad's house and you know the predictability and consistency of mom's house. And that's okay too. And sometimes I think when parents come in, they also have to deal with like the sadness of maybe it isn't a co-parenting relationship where you go to birthdays together and you go on trips together and you hang out and you talk all the time. And it's like this, it doesn't always look like that. And I think that adjusting those expectations can also be really tough too. Wrapping up a little bit, this idea of I will make sure that your information is on the episode description so the listener can learn a bit more about both of your practices. But are there any resources you often suggest to to parents or or children going through this process? Any any good books, podcasts out there that you really like? There's some very good articles on parent-parental alienation. It's more common than is often talked about, and I don't think it's talked about often. Psychology Today actually has a really good, um, I was looking at this recently, has a really good study called The Devastating Effect of Parental Alienation on Children. And it was a study that came out of Tasmania, actually, and looking at children who are now adults who grew up with parental alienation. And it looks at kind of the long-term effects of how that impacts their kids. I'll make sure we add whatever resources you want to make sure we include that so the listener can have those. I appreciate it. Well, before we wrap up, any last words? Get your own therapist, parents. 
<laughs> Please. You can't, it's too much. We're not superheroes. We're not more than human. And it's so much to ask to hold all of this. And really getting your own support not only helps you, but it helps your kids. Yeah, I would say, you know, getting support. I even think if a if a child's not ready to go to therapy, you know, doesn't want to go as resistant or sometimes too young, you know, like one, two, three, you know, and you're going through divorce. I also think consulting with a therapist, you know, helping the therapist help you in the home, come up with ways to talk about it with your child, do art with them to explore how they feel. Um, So, you know, even if the child is resistant to coming, a parent can still go see a therapist for their child. So I think that's also really important too. Well, I really appreciate you both being here. I always enjoy having more than one person to interview for different perspectives. And I feel like it's a much richer experience for the listener as well. So I really appreciate you being here and excited to get this out so people can learn a bit more about what you do. Thank you so much. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.